Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 200th edition of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Yes, nearly four years ago we started this thing and here we are to celebrate episode 200. We've had a makeover, a new logo, new artwork for the podcast. You'll be seeing a lot more of that on iTunes, on our social media channels and eventually one day on stuff that you can buy if you so desire. My name is David Law, and I was here at the outset of the Tennis Podcast, and I'm going to be speaking to somebody who is also here at the outset of the Tennis Podcast, a certain Mr. Carlos Moyer. No, I'm not. I've got Catherine Whitaker here, who was the third member of episode one. Do you remember that, Catherine, when you spoke to Carlos Moyer? Yeah, I don't like being in the packing order behind Carlos Meyer, though. I mean, he was just a guest on that on that first podcast. He was just, you know, a bonus feature. We were, you know, we we were the the heart. We were the, of it we all, were the meat and potatoes. Yeah, of it. exactly. Yeah, nuts and bolts. We were. Yeah, absolutely, Carlos. So you know, go and take a run and jump. Anyway, uh, aside from that, we're going to do basically on episode two hundred what we always do. That's talk about tennis. Madrid started. Roger Federer's injured. We found out that today. We're going to hear from him and ask how concerns you all are from one to ten. And we've asked that on Twitter. We're also going to talk about Grigor Dimitrov's meltdown. We'll remember your favorite monumental meltdowns but before we get to any of that Catherine how does it feel to be four years older and still talking to me oh you didn't have to frame it in those four years older yeah I'm I'm uh, (laughs) I certainly feel four years older four years wiser as well that day um yeah, I was sat in a room in Birmingham and today I'm sat in a commentary box in Madrid so uh, yeah things have Things have moved on nicely. And meanwhile, I'm still sat in a room in Birmingham, which is uh, very, very fitting and, and delightful. Thank you for pointing that out, that you are indeed in Madrid at one of the biggest tennis tournaments in the world. And I'm in the office of which I can touch all four balls at the same time, should I so That's wish. more reflection uh, on the size I, you know, of your limbs, David, than on the size of the office, I would posit. 
Yeah, a fair point. You know, Catherine, once in a while, I, I try to sort of imagine what we must have sounded like in 2012 without ever actually rubbish, going back Rubbish, David, the... rubbish. We sounded rubbish. Well, you know what? I today decided to listen to episode one, a little bit of the tennis podcast. Do you know what we sounded like? We sounded a little bit like this. This is from episode two, which also incorporates episode one. How clever is that? Listen to this. Well, here we are, halfway through the French Open. And before we get to our interview with Gaston Gaudio, the 2004 French Open champion, I think I'd better get this out of the way. A week ago, I said the following. I think that Serena Williams is going to go all the way, personally. I think she's going to go all the way to the final. I'm going for Azarenka against Serena Williams in the final, with Serena Williams doing the same to her, which she did a few weeks ago, and winning the title. What a story that would be. Serena Williams, French Open champion, out of nowhere. Well, that worked out well, didn't it? Oh, yeah, Um, I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, so I'm not uh, I'm not feeling that great at the moment about uh, about tennis. In fact, you know this this new tennis podcast that we've just started. I think I'm just going to shelve the whole thing. That's it now. I've had enough. I mean, no, 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 no. you know, because fifty percent of the participants are, uh, are still going strong. So, Catherine, basically, nothing much has changed. Yeah, Serena Williams-based predictions continue to get, get us both into no end of trouble. Damn you, Serena! It's, yes. all, it's all been your fault. Yes, so there we are. If you, if ever you fancy going and listening to episode one, two, anywhere up to num- anywhere up to number two hundred, they're all there on iTunes. Subscribe, listen to the back catalogue. It's all out there. Believe us. And if you've got nothing better to do with your lives, too bad. Just go and listen to that rubbish. Uh, now, Catherine Whitaker, uh, Madrid. What's it like? It's very Spanish, David, very Spanish. It's very, um, well, as I'm sure anybody that's watched it on the TV will know, it's very metallic, the uh, the Caja Magica, uh, the stadium, the purpose-built uh, facility for the tournament, which is an in- absolutely incredible facility. In terms of functionality, it is brilliant. It's a bit like the Medeski Stadium, you know, what you lose in soul, you make up for in functionality with these brand new purpose-built things but yeah it is very grey and very metallic it's completely empty the centre court that I'm looking at at the moment because we're between sessions David Ferrer is having a hit in a sort of neon green t-shirt he's actually just having a quick chat with his coach at the moment but soon enough so where are you at the moment Catherine where are you actually physically I'm in a commentary box overlooking the court it's delightful the setting sun well not quite setting actually it's only it's only early evening but the the waning sun is just passing over the stadium shedding a, a beautiful light on 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 my commentary box it's all just very picturesque and lovely I mean sun Catherine, it was hailing here about half an hour ago. It's it's an hour earlier than you, so the sun hasn't set here, but then the sun hasn't, frankly, been seen for about four days here. So, um, you know, you can keep your sun and your Madrid. I will. Thanks. Um, so yes, uh, the the one thing I do want to pick you up on just briefly is is the comparison between the Majeski Stadium and the Magic Box. You're comparing Reading and Madrid. Yep, sure am. My, two of my favourite places. Okay. Um, so, uh, anyway, you've had a bit of a kerfuffle today, haven't you? Because it was all a bit of a surprise to be called into a press conference with Roger Federer, who we, we learnt a few days ago was going to definitely try to play in Madrid. It's a tournament that I think he's the man who won it when it was on blue clay, wasn't he, a few years ago in those glory days. And uh, he he basically can't play. What happened? Yeah, I mean... It- 
it was it a surprise? I mean, the, the rumours were swirling. He cancelled his practice yesterday. He was supposed to practice with Taylor Fritz. That didn't happen. And then once he cancelled practice again today, that was sort of the writing on the wall. But the fact he came to Madrid shows you just how intent and how serious he was on playing here. He, he called a press conference and then within half an hour he was in that press conference explaining that it was a bit of a flare-up of the old back problem. This is normal back things I've, I've had in the past, which I guess is good because I know how to handle it and I know how long it can take. Sometimes it can vary by, by a few more days here and there. That's why I'm already pulling out today and not waiting till tomorrow. Um, but I felt like yesterday already it was probably not going to, I was not going to make it for Wednesday, but I, I wanted to wait for an, an extra day and, you know, do treatment and all that. So um, it's, it's the back stuff I kind of know. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm okay with it. It's like, at least I know what it is. So I'm very disappointed to say the least. I was hoping to play. I changed my schedule around. I practiced well in Switzerland before coming here. So this is not really what I wanted to do, to come here and then do a press conference about pulling out. But uh, it's been a tough year, so I hope it gets better from here. I always need goals to, that you work forward to. And the goal now is to play Rome and hopefully arrive there somewhat early so I have a good preparation and um, that I can play hopefully a good tournament. But still, again, let's see how my back is going to be, how my preparation is going to be. If I can't play in Rome, it's not the end of the world, but uh, the goal clearly now is to play there and, and do well, like I did last year. Time will tell if I'll be fine at the French, but uh, I do be believe I have chances there. The problem in the past has been more Rafa than the clay itself. I mean, if you take Rafa out of the equation, I would have had a, an, a, an amazing clay court career. Still, with, with him, I've had a, a great uh, clay court career, so... Uh, I probably can enter the French Open or the clay court season always with maybe a little bit less expectations just because I'm not the overwhelming favourite in, in the, those events and sometimes that can be can be helpful too. But I still put pressure on myself to to wanting to go far and deep and, and, and play well. So uh, same thing this year, maybe something can happen at the French and if not, uh, still a huge summer ahead. So Catherine, inevitably at times like this, I mean, I think how many times have we called an end to Roger Federer's career, the tennis world over the last few years? I, I think you and I have been relatively sparing on the tennis podcast with regard to Roger Federer over the years. I think we've been quite cautious to to say it's over for him or the decline has set in. And I'd like to think we have anyway. I mean, go back and listen to the last 200, see, see, see what we actually said. But Inevitably, we now look at the year as it stands, and he's he's had his first surgery ever. He's then pulled out of a, another tournament with an illness. He's now got a back issue. I've asked on Twitter, out of 10, how concerned are you, people, generally, tennis podcast listeners, about Roger Federer's current condition? You know, he's, he's pushing 35, and, you know, he's not getting any younger. So, so how concerned are you out of 10 for Roger Federer right now out of 10 I mean look his we I refer back to his canister which he, he he believes that all this time that he's having to take away from tennis that's time he will earn back at the end of his career he doesn't see it as time running out he sees this as just if well if he's not he's got a finite amount of energy in that canister and if he's not using it now he'll use it in a year's time or two years time or whenever it will be um i'm a i'm a little bit concerned some of the analysis that i've heard today is that he he struggled so much sort of emotionally with having to have surgery and i don't think there's any doubt that he is he was really 
I think he was almost a bit disappointed in himself that he failed to get through his whole career without having surgery. I think it, it did strike him emotionally. And then he talks about the period after the surgery and how he surprised himself about how well he came back from it. And he, he came back onto the tennis court and onto the match court a lot sooner than he had been planning. Um, you know, practised for, for 10 full days full on ahead of Monte Carlo. Uh, and there's a lot of analysis I've heard that maybe he's just pushed it a little far, a little too soon in terms of coming back from injury. He's not experienced at coming back from injury. He's not experienced at rehab. It's probably one of the few things that he has barely any experience in on the tennis court. And it's possible that, you know, he's like, when you see him in the press conference today, he's like a big kid still when he talks about tennis. He just wants to get out there and play tennis. He can't wait to get to Rome and try and get himself fit for Rome. And maybe he's just possibly pushed himself a bit too far too soon but I'm to put a number on it I'd probably put it at about a three or a four just at the moment it's registering on my Richter scale of Federer concern it's certainly registering but I'm not panicking well, Tess isn't concerned at all. Tess Claydon says on Twitter at Tennis Podcast, I don't think he will play Rome or the French Open. He wants another Wimbledon title and a gold medal. Then he'll retire. So I'm at zero out of ten in terms well, of being if, concerned. If Tess, is, if Tess is right, then Federer is barefaced lying throughout his entire press conference today, which I don't think uh, is Roger's style. So as much as I agree that he wants another Wimbledon title and he's... He's accepting of the fact that that's more likely to come at Wimbledon than the French Open or arguably anywhere else. He he believes he can win the French Open. Don't doubt that for a second. Roger Federer believes he can win this French Open. Wow, that's cool. Uh, So that's what uh, Tess believes. Sabah, on the other hand, says 10 out of 10 is how much I'm concerned right now for Roger Federer. He's getting older now. He's starting to, to feel the aches and pains. It's, it's going to get more difficult to recover each and every time this happens to him. That's, uh, that's the view that uh, Sabah has on Twitter. We've also got Kelvin, who says six out of ten is how much I'm concerned. I miss watching his mesmerizing attacking game, but I'm glad he isn't taking risks. Recovery takes longer as we age. Michelle says a solid eight out of ten. Missing Indian Wells, Miami and now Madrid feels like the beginning of something. In inverted commas, something. Uh, we've also got Danny, who says zero out of ten. He's Federer. He can recover from anything. Hashtag superhuman. Kimberly Matthews says even the mighty, all-powerful Federer cannot escape age forever. With reduced schedule, he can produce the magic, but doesn't give a number. Kimberly doesn't want to put herself out there on that one. Dom says four out of ten. I'd much rather he took some time off during the clay season and the non-slam tournaments. Wendy says eight out of ten. His age now, sadly, and his tennis is so physically demanding on the body opponents will work on any weakness to get a win russell says five out of ten i'm worried his age is getting the better of him jonathan says seven his age lack of experience of injury which is something you were saying there Catherine, is is a factor here and ali who's a regular contributor here on the tennis podcast says eight out of ten he'll get frustrated with all the injuries that he never had when he was younger and retire at the end of 2017 I think I'm about 5 out of 10, Catherine. And I'll tell you why I'm a little bit more concerned than you. is because I think that these injuries can become a little infectious one to the other in as much as you end up getting compensatory 
injuries as you try to recover from one and then you perhaps put more stress on another part of the body and the body isn't quite as used to pushing as hard because it hasn't been able to train and it becomes more and more difficult. That That's my concern. So that's Roger Federer. He's not going to play in Madrid. Many are, though. We've got uh, Novak Djokovic who will make his return. We've got Nadal trying to continue his very impressive run from winning in Monte Carlo and in Barcelona. Andy Murray will be there, Stan Wawrinka, many of the other, well, all the other best players. On the women's side, we've already lost the top two seeds, Catherine. Yeah, wouldn't have. Well, yeah, well, I was busy. I was in transit. I hadn't even touched down in Madrid before that had happened. I mean, what on earth was going on yesterday? It was, uh, yeah. Well, I saw some of uh, the, the loss of Agnieszka Radvanska late last night to Dominika Sibylkova. I mean, it, it's a tough draw, admittedly. Let's, it's a tough draw. It, it is a tough draw. It is a tough draw. And it was a great match. I mean, it was nearly a three-hour epic. And what really disappointed me, and it frustrated me, and I don't know who to blame for this. I don't know whether it's the organisers, whether to, to turn attention to Madrid tennis fans or the way it's been promoted or what, but there must have been no more than 15 to 20 people in the entire stadium of 12,000 last night watching the top seed Agnieszka Radvanska go out and 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 I just I just despaired watching this this giant metal box with hardly anybody in it and you know you look at it and you think well is that because the women's tennis tournament isn't as popular there well I'm looking right now at the tv screen with Anna Ivanovic playing on one of the smaller courts and it is absolutely jam-packed to the rafters I just don't know really where where to put that hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait.
Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Because, I mean, we, we, we think back a week ago to, to the Stuttgart event, which was pumping every single day. It, it, it was jam-packed to the seams every single match. What's going on? I mean, look, this isn't, let's be honest, everyone can see it on the TV. I don't. I, I think across the board, this is not one of the better attended um, tennis events on the, on the tour. I think there's many great things about it, but it is not brilliantly attended for an event of its calibre. Um, I mean, it's a little bit out of town. I think it's potentially location-wise not the most convenient for uh, Madrileños, as they're called, to uh, to make it out here. I mean... It's a shame yesterday, obviously, weekend day today's been a bank holiday. Crowds have not been great today either. I mean, the Spaniards pack it out more. There's a incredible jump for Nadal matches for very, very obvious reasons. And, of course, you know, Federer pretty much packs out anywhere. But I don't think it's a particular women's tennis issue. I think they have had scheduling issues here in the past. I mean, last year's <laughs> incident where Andy Murray didn't step onto the court against Philip Kohlschreiber until gone one o'clock in the morning. That lives long in my memory. I'm sure it lives long in Andy Murray's memory. And that wasn't because of rain or any kind of weather issues. You know, they've got a roof here. That was just because matches went long and that was the schedule and they, they stuck to it. I do think there are scheduling issues, but I think basically it's just, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't want to, I, I don't think it's because it was women's tennis. I really don't. I, I think this tournament does have a bit of an issue to tackle and I'm not familiar enough with the sort of with the Madrid ticket buying sports spectating public and their habits to to suggest why it is that they've got a problem but it is a bit of an issue here. Now Catherine yesterday we had a number of finals there was uh, Nicolas Almagro winning in Estoril he also beat uh, Nick Kyrgios in the semis and Kyrgios had another decent run there well done Almagro though first title in four years we had uh, Kohlschreiber, you mentioned there, winning the title in Munich, just edging out Dominic Team in a glorious battle of single-handed Glorious battle, but yet another match, where another really important match for Dominic Team, where he's just looked knackered. And, uh, it, I mean, it just he needs to sort out his scheduling. He's, I don't think it's that he's unfit. I think he, uh, maybe it's a particular type of fitness peaking at the right moments. I mean, he is evidence of how important that is in someone's career because he's not doing it at the moment. And I want him to do it because he's so exciting to watch and it's frustrating at the moment. And meanwhile, last but not least in that little description of finals is the Istanbul final, and credit to Diego Schwartzman for winning it. But what happened to Grigor Dimitrov? He was leading by a set and 5-2. He was a game away from winning his first title since Queen's in 2014, so nearly two years. Uh, I flicked on to watch that match halfway through that second set when I saw that he was leading, and, and frankly, just to, to see the celebration. And he... He got tight. There's no no other way to say it. At about 5-2, 5-3, he suddenly got nervous. He stopped playing tennis the way he had to get himself in that position. Got broken back. Then he began to cramp. He went down 5-6, did well to break and take it into a tie break. Lost the tie break 
and then lost the deciding set six love. Now, at the start of that third set, I had to go away and do something else. So about five or ten minutes later, I, I come back and the result is in, and it's six love. And then turn on social media to find out, and I think, in fact, you were the one who alerted me to it, that there'd been a bit of an incident. Now, to watch the video back, basically, Grigor Dimitrov has gone, I think, five love down in that third set. And he'd already, he was already had two warnings. He knew that one more warning would be a game penalty. He went up to his chair. He smashed his racket repeatedly into into his other rackets, even right in front of Mohamed Leani. And I think he basically said to Mohamed Leani, "I get a game penalty if I get another warning, don't I?" Something along those lines. And he got himself out of the match basically, and the title was uh, given to to Schwartzman. Immediately afterwards, virtually, Dimitrov went into the uh, the on-court closing ceremony and actually gave a fulsome and almost upsetting apology to everybody let down in that moment. But it was one of the most monumental meltdowns that I've seen on a tennis court, Not not just because of its ferocity we think of some of the others we'll go through a few of them that we've had mentioned to us but to just watch something on the court capitulate in front of you I found that hard viewing actually and I, I like a bit of aggro as you know but I, I found that quite distressing oh this wasn't aggro David this was I mean it was despicable appalling behavior I don't think there's any mitigating uh Grigor Dimitrov's behavior yesterday I mean that was Diego Schwartzman's first ever tour title and he wasn't able to celebrate the moment of victory and uh Dimitrov denied him that and that's really sad I, I, I really it made me really uncomfortable everything about it the the premeditation of the act I mean and the, and yes his on-court speech was um you know it was a mere culpa wasn't it? it but but the fact he was able to compose himself and have such perspective on it so soon afterwards you know that wasn't the post match press conference that he was able to do that it was him standing on the court still you know just in, in in the scene of the crime just moments minutes afterwards so he was able to gather that perspective that quickly why couldn't he just have gathered it on the court just a little bit you know and look i I still have sympathy for Grigor Dimitrov. I know he's a decent bloke. I know he's better than how he behaved yesterday. But it was pretty harrowing to watch. And in terms of where he goes from here, I, I just... I don't really know. I think it's. I think this is more than a, a blip or an incident. I think this is a real indication of somebody in a in a pretty dark mental state, really. I don't know if that's too to uh, devastating an assessment but I mean I, I, I've never really seen anything like that before and I and I think it has to come from a, a pretty despairing place to certainly in tennis terms. I, I think I've seen it a few times and, and in in various ways I mean the, it, there were elements of Nalbandian about it I mean Nalbandian's in terms of his his kicking the the umpire's chair that was a flash of temper but the way he lost it thereafter and and sort of he was unable to gather himself in the way that Dimitrov did shortly afterwards for me it was a cry for help and it was it was almost a moment of panic for him he just he could not handle what was happening anymore he he got himself into the situation he couldn't retrieve it and he was just unable to draw any semblance of control of himself once more and I mean look it was it, 
there's no forgiving it uh, in terms of there's there's no accepting it here, but I, I feel sorry for him and oh. uh, and I I feel as though he I actually think he needs to not just move on and and do what I think a lot of people sometimes say in this situation is oh you know it's always next week. I think he's actually got to look at this closely and work out what happened out there because he's not actually going to be able to get through these these tight situations unless he can work out what happened. Well, I, I mean, in terms of anybody suggesting he needs to just move on, I mean, <laughs> I find that preposterous, really. Tell me, tell me that the next time he's not you know, leading by a set and 5-2 in a really crucial match, that he's not going to think of what happened yesterday and be pretty paralysed by it, really. I mean, it's just... I feel like this could spiral unless he gets a handle on it. And I agree with you, it did look like a cry for help, but what what help can come? Like, what... what he's He's got a good coach with him now. He's been through other good coaches. What... You know, I, I don't know his personal life, who he's got guiding him sort of in a on a personal level, but what can help him that he hasn't already got in his life, in his tennis life, what what's he crying out for? I don't know. Don't know him well enough to be able to say. What I would say is I do feel that in life sometimes, I don't want to get too deep here, but I think that this is certainly certainly my view on, on life. I always think you, you can rescue things of this nature if you can address them. If he can draw a line here. I mean, the, the truth is his tennis has actually been a good bit better this year. He's actually reached a final he hasn't done that for a while he's been playing some good matches he's not actually that far away from from playing really well but he's got to draw a line here and be able to do something about this um so well good luck to him because uh that wasn't pleasant to see from from any vantage point at all Catherine you have got some uh some tennis to go and report on haven't you for the rest of uh the evening uh, and uh, you've got you've got a hell of a lot of good matches to look forward to throughout the rest of the week. What what sort of um, what's your sense on on what the stories of the week might end up being? Because uh, the, there are a number of different sort of um, talking points. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see whether we get Nadal and Djokovic clashing at some point. We thought we were going to get a quarter final Nadal and Federer at one point. The, there are some good matches ahead though, and some some storylines to enjoy. Absolutely, I th- I think. Nadal Djokovic is what everybody wants to see. It's got a bit of a flavour of French Open last year. You know, as soon as we saw the draw and knew when they were meet, would meet, which was, of course, in the quarterfinals, it was the countdown towards that. And, and with the added layers of narrative, particularly with Nadal, well, with Djokovic losing to Vesely in Monte Carlo and with Nadal on this incredible role with momentum back on his side. But, of course, the ultimate test comes against Djokovic. Um, so that's what everybody wants to see. I can't wait for Dominic Team against Juan Martín del Potro. Del Potro using his protected ranking here in Madrid. I'm not sure how many protected ranking events he has left. It's really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting game of poker seeing how seeing how players choose to use their protected ranking. We're seeing the same with Laura Robson, of course. Unfortunately, she lost yesterday. Um, so that one looks tasty to me. I'm really interested to see how Victoria Azarenka, who in the event she's played, has been pretty much the most dominant player of the year so far, with the slight exception of the Australian Open, although she still played damn well in, in, in Australia. Um, so And she was very good today against Elise Cornet. So I think there's there's plenty of storylines. And uh, Germain Fies is another one 
I'm interested in because, yeah, he seems to have had this just hypnotic experience recently. And again, he did press yesterday. And again, he just clammed up. Well, more than clammed up, he shut down. He refused to talk about this new Gael Monfils. He didn't deny that he is doing something different. Uh, he just said, I don't want to talk about it. I need to keep it to myself. So there's definitely something going on with Gael Monfils and it's definitely working. And I just wonder, you know, what the next chapter is in... The, the the new Gail Monfils. I can't wait to see that. So uh, shame not to have Federer here. Shame not to have Serena here. But I don't think there's any lack of interest because of those two factors. No. And meanwhile, Catherine, uh, somebody who's not playing any clay at all this year, but somebody who's got himself into the world's top 100 for the first time in his career, a young Mr. Dan Evans of Solihull in Birmingham. Yeah, well, he's made a very good decision, hasn't he, to go and play these challenger events in Asia. You know, quite a brave decision. It must feel a lot easier, I get. Or maybe it doesn't for, for Dan Evans. But, I mean, there must always be that temptation to go and play qualies at the bigger events, try and get onto the big stage, get yourself a, a draw against a top player, you know, taste taste the, the big stage. But he's decided to go and grind it out in Asia and uh, that's really paid off for him. That's that's big, I think, him breaking into the top 100. And um... and, and also, he's done it well. I mean, he's, the clever thing about it is he's staying away from clay, which really isn't a favoured surface for him. He's going to play three more weeks on hard courts in Asia. Then he'll come back and play grass court challenges. And, you know, to already be inside the top 100, he's got chance to, to make further strides here because he's got no points to defend at all. I mean, it's been a long time coming. This guy has had more false dawns than just about anybody I've seen in tennis. But he's he's got into the top 100. He should be a good bit higher than that rankings-wise in terms of his talent. But it's pleasing, isn't it, to see somebody finally making the most of what they've been given in his case. Yeah, well, I mean, you say making the most, but they could be more to come couldn't there I mean it's not televised stuff so I've not been able to see sort of what level of tennis he's playing but we know what he's capable of so possibly there's even a little bit more to come from him so um, yeah good on him it's good to see him just grinding and having success through grinding I think that's you know good on him Indeed. Incidentally, on the subject of British tennis, interesting read from Simon Briggs in the Telegraph with Peter Keane, who's the current or well, the interim performance director of British tennis and somebody who's come from outside of the sport and, and is now starting to make an impact. That's a very, very interesting read. And, and Simon pretty impressed, I think, with what he's seen uh, in recent um, months with Peter Keane and his approach. It's going to take time to bed in, of course. Now, just, just finally, Catherine, we did talk, given that we were on about Dimitrov, and his uh, his meltdown. Uh, there were a few other absolute corkers given to us on social media. Uh, we have Hugh Beasley, who remembers the one from Coco Vanderway, one of my personal favourites, where she smashes the racket eight times. I seem to remember Alan Mills in our end-of-year uh, special last year decided that that didn't warrant the meltdown of the year, which I felt was very harsh. Uh, we have Alex, who remembers the Yushni one, which has surely got to be the benchmark, Alex says, because he, he smashed his own head open with his own racket. Do look that up on YouTube. We have the Marcus Bagdatis one, where he smashed every racket in his bag that he owned straight after losing. Sarah Garvey remembers that one, as well as now Bandian basically assaulting a Lions judge at Queen's in the 2012 uh, Queen's final, the Aegon Championships there. We also have Ali who mentions 
Pospisil at the US Open last year where he kicked his tennis bag around on the court after he got cramps. He's too nice to do that, says Ali. And I like this one as well. This is a, a throwback to 1999 from Jane Grey, who remembers Martin Hingis against Steffi Graf in the French final, where... Hingis got booed off the court and circled the net and and uh, and was disputing a line call and then did an underarm serve in an act of supreme petulance, which is exactly what I intend to do against you at the Queen's Club in a few weeks' time, Catherine. In the rematch that I haven't consented to yet, yeah, maybe, yeah, I'm still yet, I'm still waiting for you to convince me of of what is in it for me to agree to that rematch. I'll get there in the in the end, folks. Here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph, Catherine. Uh, it's been quite a lot of fun talking to you two hundred times over the last four years. Thanks for everything. Oh, that's that's a surprisingly touching note to end on, David. Thank you. Let's leave it there, shall we? Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.